Our scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36 and continuing to verse 48. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So during the Civil War, at the Second Battle of Bull Run, there was a Captain Robert Clark. And Captain Clark and his men refused to surrender to the Confederate forces, and they were surrounded. A bloody battle was fought, and Clark's entire detachment was overrun. Clark himself was listed as missing in action and was presumed dead, and a notice went home to his family. Soon after, Clark's family sent a telegram asking for the return of his body. But what no one knew was that Captain Clark had been separated from his detachment in battle and was not dead. He had hidden behind enemy lines for three days and then he carefully made his way back to headquarters. He arrived there just in time to receive his family's request. He was wounded and hungry and tired, but he was very definitely alive. He was able to respond humorously to his family's request. He telegrammed back, still have use of the body. 
We'll bring it back in person. Your loving son, Robert. Now, I'm sure that Clark's family was somewhat astonished when they received his reply. And I'm not sure whether this story is accurate or not. I just know that it captures the essence of surprise that those disciples must have felt at the unexpected appearance of Jesus among them. Because in their own fear and cowardice, they had just watched him die from a distance. And now they were gathered together, huddled in a room trying to hash out the next steps, the next part of the plan of what they would do. They were feeling afraid of how the authorities might deal with them. They were feeling despair at the loss of the one they had claimed and believed was Messiah. And they felt grief that their teacher and that their friend was dead. Now the disciples would not have understood what Jesus had meant when he was with them and teaching them. When he talked about dying and resurrecting in three days. Their first century Jewish understanding of resurrection had been very different. Those disciples, those closest to Jesus who had walked and talked and ate and drank and worked and learned from him for three long years, didn't understand what Jesus had meant when he told them he would die, be buried, and raised again in three short days. Because for them, in their first century Jewish understanding, the resurrection would take time after death. And the resurrection would be everyone at the same time. And yet here Jesus was standing himself in the midst of them. And what they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt was that they had seen him die. They knew he had been placed in a sealed tomb. And now there were these stories of Jesus appearing to other disciples. So naturally they were confused. Frankly, they were probably a tad bit freaked out. The scripture says they thought they were seeing a ghost. And they were scared half to death. But when Jesus came among these frightened disciples, the first thing that he did was to address that fear and confusion. And he did that. He said, he walked right in among them and he said, peace be with you. He recognized those terrified looks on their faces. He empathized with their fright. And he addressed it in grace. And he offered them his peace. So one of my most terrifying moments, and I've talked about this a little bit before, 
It was, it was the first time that I had to come before the conference committee um, as I was going through ordination. And it's good that I tell this story today because Bob was there. <laughs> so he can attest to exactly what this face looked like when I came in. First off, you have to understand that my home church was a small town in Germantown. Germantown had about 5,000 people. And then I was called to a congregation that was even smaller than my home church, close to the Indiana border in Preble County, Camden United Methodist Church. There were about um, 91 members there. And uh, I was preaching as a student and teaching there. Out kind of in a small rural town, not a lot of traffic on any given day. Sunday was about it. And I got a letter in the mail that told me I had to come to Columbus. I wasn't familiar with Columbus. And when I got to Columbus, I had to find a church that I had never been to or heard of. When I got to that church, there were several entrances, and I had to figure out which parking lot actually belonged to the restaurants or the church. And once I got parked hoping that I was in the right spot. There were about 17 doors, and I had to decide which door I was supposed to go in, and there was no one there. door was unlocked. I figured I was supposed to go in. And so then I had to wander around this very large church that I had never been in before, and I had no idea really how I would know I had arrived. Well, after following several hallways, I entered into an open area where there were roughly 80 to 100 people all in very formal suits with name tags on, looking like they knew what they were doing. There was a table. I assumed that was the place I would go to check in, and so I did, still terrified, still hoping I was in the right place. So I checked in, and they took me to this seating area where there were other people just like me. I saw the terrified faces around the room, and so I sat down next to another terrified face, and we said like five words to each other, nodded, smiled, and pretty soon individuals started coming, and they would take one person away at a time which was all well and good, except for what seemed like a million and fifty years later, I was the only person left sitting there. My group, you know, in their defense, I think their room was the closest to the area where we were sitting, and so they, they waited so that, you know, it would be kind of chill when they came to get me. At least that's what I like to think in my head. So, um... Someone came to get me, and they took me in this room, and, and seated in a circle are a, a group of, what, 10-ish people? And, um, and Bob was one of those people. And I didn't know Pastor Bob at that time. And I walked in the room, and um, my, my lead pastor had been preparing me. Um, she had helped ask me theological questions, and I knew I was going to be asked these theological questions, so I was prepared but still terrified. And the first thing that happened, Pastor Bob was probably one of the first people 
who spoke. And he said, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. And I was like, whew, okay, I know that stuff. (laughs) And what he said to me in that moment was just like, peace be with you. And whether he did or not, only Bob knows. But it felt to me like he recognized my fear. And he was offering me a moment of peace in that fear. The disciples are startled and terrified because they think that they're seeing a ghost. And when Jesus appears in the room, he quickly looks around at these faces of these people that he loves. He assesses the situation and he realizes that he has only a few hours left to be with these friends that he has chosen to advance the kingdom of heaven. And like a good coach or teacher, he calls them in, closer. And he further reassures them of who he is. He says, touch my hands, touch my feet. I'm real, it's me. And if that's not enough, he stands up and says, hey, You got anything to eat? The disciples are still in that state of wonder and confusion because they know, we know, ghosts don't eat. And Jesus takes the time to offer them just one more proof of his presence right there with them by asking them for food. One thing I can say about my family, even well into high school, is that we ate dinner together around the table just about every night. And sometimes I really mean night, because with mine and my brother's sports schedules, it was often 9.30 before we got home. During that mealtime together, we would talk about our day. We talked about what was going on in our lives, what was happening in the world. We solved problems. We made plans. We laughed. And fairly often, we disagreed. Now, my brother and I often had friends around that table with us. But regardless of who was there, they were always a part of the conversation. Our conversation was the same when our friends were there. We laughed. We talked about our day and what was happening in the world. We talked about what homework we were avoiding, what tests we wish we didn't have. We still argued points and we still supported one another. Because there's something about sharing a meal with people that brings intimacy and a sense of belonging. So Jesus reestablished that intimacy with his disciples by calling them in, inviting them closer to himself, and asking them for food. 
He doesn't expect their behavior to be anything but what it is. He doesn't ask them what they believe about his resurrection appearance. He simply dispels their doubts about his physical presence among them. And then he begins to open their minds to understand the scriptures. Remember, we've been taught that you believe and then you learn how to behave. And after you've said that you believe and you learn how to behave, then you can belong. But what Jesus says is exactly the opposite. Jesus invites the reverse pattern. Belong first. The behavior comes second. Then you believe. Jesus' teaching is vital. His opening of their minds to understand Scripture is essential. But neither one of those things comes first. First, Jesus makes sure that his disciples know that they are safe in community with him. That they belong. Before he expects any behavior change, before he expects them to believe what he's telling them, Christ doesn't tell us to go and share a lecture or an anthem or a confession until he comes again. Instead, Christ urges us to gather around a table and share a meal. Because it's around a table that we pause and we draw close together. It's around the table where we are able to lean in and we're able to touch and taste and feel the presence of Christ. Just as caring for the poor and gathering for worship are essential Christian behaviors, eating together is an equally essentially Christian behavior as well. Our strength does not come from being certain about what we believe all the time. Nor is our faith dependent on our good behavior. Our strength is in our community. And our community is our identity of grace. God's grace. A grace that we receive without doing anything to earn it. And a grace that we're able to extend to others as we invite and welcome and make room for others to belong. So I've been asking myself for quite some time. I stand in a different perspective up here every Sunday. And I've been asking myself, who's not here? I was at a training this week at Methodist Theological School in Ohio, up in Delaware. It was about um, people with disabilities and worship. 
And in the discussion, part, uh, main part of the day, there was a panel of people who were speaking about their own experience as people with disabilities as they had gone to different churches. One of the panel members, through his interpreter, said, when I walk into a church, it isn't about the programming that they have available for me. No, it's not about programming. It's about how we love in community. Because what I've learned in visiting so many churches is that welcoming is not the same as belonging. Welcoming is not the same as loving. Because you know what? You can welcome me without loving me. In other words, hospitality, true hospitality is muscle and skin on bones of love. Jesus came into the room to be present among his disciples and they didn't understand. Resurrection is not easy to understand. Like it did with the disciples, the meaning of resurrection dawns on us. When Jesus appears in places that we don't expect him to be, our reaction can be fear and shock, uncertainty or disbelief. But Jesus stands among us in our fear, in our uncertainty. And he offers us his peace. He invites us to, to touch. He's incarnate. He reminds us how we belong with him. And he asks us to sit down and share a meal. And in that meal we remember not all at once maybe, but little by little over time that we have a place around the table with him. We belong. And we recognize that we do. And it's only then that we can begin to believe that resurrection living, that that hope of resurrection living is for us too, and it's real. Faith doesn't just occur to us all of a sudden because we walk into a church. Faith dawns on us. Like the sun rises over the horizon and its rays kiss the crystals of frost on every blade of grass and slowly as the sun creeps higher in the sky, our yards begin to shimmer with the melted drops of dew from the warmth of its light. As the sun touches small parts of the world with light just a little bit at a time, the meaning of the resurrection touches us. And that shift 
in understanding in our core leads us out to take great risks, sharing our faith story, witnessing to the ways that we have seen the risen Christ among us. How has Christ's presence with you surprised you this week? Did you tell anyone about it? Might there have been someone who needed to hear your resurrection story? The story of Christ alive and active and right here, right now, tangible and present among us. Inviting, welcoming, loving, really loving, and including others around our table of grace is how we help people to recognize that they belong. This is the mark of true community and the best way for us to witness to the very real and tangible presence of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, no matter how confused or bewildered or afraid or doubtful we are, we thank you that you come and that you stand among us, offering us your peace, inviting us in closer to your presence that we might touch you and know you, including us at your table and sending us out to share your love with everyone. Gracious God, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you have created us to be. We ask that you would touch our hearts, heal us and make us whole. Open our eyes and our understanding to know you better and help us to share your presence that lives among us with everyone we meet. It is in your son's strong name that we pray. Amen.